Tune in to episode 33, where we talk to Katie from Girl Gotch all about navigating supply chain and startups. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and me. Welcome back to all our Two Babes listeners. We are excited for our show today. We have Tyler from Inkbox talking to us all about crowdfunding, uh, logistics, and supply chain. So Tyler is the co-founder and CEO of Inkbox, the world's first two-week tattoo. Previously the founder of Blurby, Tyler has leveraged his marketing and retail backgrounds to generate over 500% year-over-year growth at Inkbox. That's amazing. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're really excited to hear all about Inkbox. So why don't you get started and tell us about Inkbox, your story, and your business model. Yeah, so on a high level, it's a, a temporary tattoo that is actually kind of a real tattoo at the same time. So unlike a sticker that, uh, you know, the kind of temporary tattoo you had as a child that just uh, is a sticker on top of your skin uh, that peels away after a couple of days and chips away and has a sheen to it and folds with your skin, so it doesn't really look real. Uh, our tattoos actually change the color of your skin. So it's applied like a temporary tattoo, um, but we actually sink a formula into the top layer of skin. And that formula reacts with organic compounds in your skin to actually change its color to look just like a real tattoo for around two weeks. Reason being, your skin naturally exfoliates every couple of weeks, and we're only in the layer that exfoliates. Um, so it just gradually uh, fades away after a couple of weeks, and then you can apply another one. Uh, we're an e-commerce company. We sell over 300 designs online, uh, Toronto-based. Woo. And, uh, yeah, that's the, the concept at large. Um, and where it came from was really the desire uh, for this exact product. <laughs> um, it's as simple as that. We really wanted, my brother and I, who founded the company, uh, tattoos that look real without the permanence. Uh, and temporary tattoos didn't cut it. Uh, so we started looking through nature and uh, kind of just reading through scientific journals and eventually came across this fruit that grows in the jungles of Central and South America, uh, that tribes have been using for thousands of years to decorate their body. Uh, what was interesting about this, this fruit is that it has an active molecule we discovered that actually uh, changes the color of skin. Uh, and so we use that active molecule as a base for this completely new type of, of temporary tattoo. Yeah. Very, very cool. So um, before we get into your supply chain, you guys got started with crowdfunding. Can you tell us, you know, kind of how you got started in that space and why, why you chose that avenue? Yeah, so we started, uh, uh, so we had a, an initial product that was very rudimentary and it wasn't a very scalable product. Uh, it was something that we could just sell maybe 50 units a day. Like it, it had to be refrigerated, had to sit in your skin for hours and hours to effectively work kind of like a gel-based material. Uh, and, you know, we were making sales. We were around for about six months before we did our Kickstarter campaign with this product. So we had built up, like, maybe 15,000 people on email list, like 10,000 Instagram followers, and a bit of a following. Um, small, but they were people were really engaged with our brand and what we were doing. They really liked the product. Uh, and so we knew we were onto something. Uh, and uh, in that six-month time frame, we had been developing um, a completely like a revamped version of this, this tattoo we developed, uh, just light years ahead of what the other one was. 
Uh, and what better place to, to do it than on Kickstarter? Something about Kickstarter, it's this uh, promotional system, I guess you can call it, where, sure, you're driving traffic from external sources, uh, but, you know, you're leveraging the platform and everyone on that platform as well. So what's interesting about our campaign, just kind of going forward a bit, is that 50% of our sales on our Kickstarter campaign, or pledges, sorry, not sales, uh, came from Kickstarter platform itself, and then 50% came from external sources that we drove through press. Um, so our thinking with the product, though, um, you know, we're going to launch this new product eventually anyways. Uh, we're not a capitalized company. We hadn't raised any sort of financing at that point. Uh, we're just kind of bootstrapping it. We decided that Kickstarter was the best place to, to launch a product. I mean, it's as simple as that. Everyone knows what Kickstarter is. You can just say, hey, check us out on Kickstarter. It's very easy to drive people to a Kickstarter campaign in that respect. Uh, and so we, we chose to, to launch it, and uh, the initial target was about 20000 and eventually just uh, crushed it. So, Tyler, could you tell us about your supply chain and how it works? Uh, yeah, so our business has a lot of moving parts. Uh, so not only did we invent this product, but we invented some manufacturing methods around the product as well. Um, so initially, our supply chain... Uh, we had a lot of tooling involved in the production of the of the tattoos, and that's why we delivered our Kickstarter about six months behind uh, our, our, our deadline, because um, there was just so, so much tooling, we got just the scale we weren't expecting. So uh, our supply chain has a lot of moving parts. Uh, when you order a kit from us um, online, you get a tattoo with everything you need to apply it at home, and in that kit, you have a pre-moistened cloth, which is very specific, very specific amount of moisture and cotton density in that cloth. Uh, an alcohol wipe, which activa activates the formula. The applicator itself, which is like six different adhesives and a non-woven fabric in it, and then our formula is actually embedded into it, and then the design, which is cut into the back of it with laser cutting. Um, and then we have a, a glove. So there's a lot of things in there. You know, there's the box, the towel, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the alcohol wipe, the tattoo itself, uh, the glove. There's quite a few things in there. Um, and then we also have a freehand ink, which is just like a bottle of, of gel that you can draw on your skin with. And that is like a bottle, cap, label, uh, and then that has a, a bunch of other ingredients in it as well. So we have two products with two different ingredient sets. Uh, so it's quite, it's quite complicated. We, you know, we order uh, materials from several different countries, um, so there's a lot of importing and exporting as well uh, going back and forth. Awesome. Awesome. So do you import then the different products into Canada and then um, put it all together once it gets here? Or do you have that done overseas as well? Yeah, we have a, a bit of both. Um, so we're made in North America, um, as we're probably made in North America, which we like to say. Uh, our ingredients come from a bunch of different places um, around the world. I'm not going to name where, but uh, three different countries, four different countries. Uh, so we import them, and we get some parts made externally, and then we do most of it in-house. So uh, we're, we're vertically integrated. Everything we do, for the most part, is in-house. Um, but there's a couple things that we just can't do at the scale we're at internally uh, because the machinery we need to produce them would be, like, millions of dollars. So um, our tattoo applicators, for example, um, you know, we get them made with a third-party manufacturer, but we do all the, the formulation of the ingredients and the embedding of the ingredients and all that kind of stuff um, in-house. So we have a science lab in-house. We have laser cutters. Uh, it's a pretty cool office. 
Yeah, that sounds like a fun place to work. I would just want to go to the science lab and have fun, like do some experiments and let's see what color I can make this go. Yeah, well, that's what it was at the start. There's a lot of experimentation. I mean, we're still doing experimentation, um, a lot actually, but it's not something I'm personally doing anymore. So, so were uh, you a guinea pig when you started? Scientist, so. Oh, it was crazy. I had uh, 180 different tattoos on my body at one point. That's wow. awesome. Pink box tattoos, testing formulas and formulations and concentrations and such. Was there any that went just really wrong? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, especially when we first, well, when we first started, nothing appeared. <laughs> there was just nothing there. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of science involved and, it, you know, a lot of, of testing. You know, like we did, it was, it was pretty fun. I, I'm someone who's scientifically literate, but I'm not a scientist by any means. Um, so I, I leveraged uh, some, some scientist friends of mine to kind of just give me the breakdown of, of direction. And I did most of the, like, the actual science myself at the beginning, uh, which was pretty damn fun. But also kind of scary because I kind of felt like Spider-Man. Like if I got, you know, he got bit by a radioactive spider and he turned into something, like, you know, what if, like, this tattoo formula sunk into me somehow and I became a walking tattoo or I don't know. <laughs> that would be some good marketing and advertising for your company. <laughs> Tattoo Man. <laughs> Tattoo Man. That's going to be a comic Mar book. Marvel show that Netflix would probably pick up. So, somebody will. <laughs> so then we just talked about sort of your your supply chain and we talked about where you started. So since you've started and since the crowdfunding campaign, how has that changed and influenced your supply chain? What what changes have you had to make make since the crowdfunding campaign? I mean, a lot. The, we did a lot more than we were expecting on the Kickstarter, and uh, Kickstarter is a double-edged sword in that respect. You know, you want to do as much as possible, but you have realistic expectations. And our expectations that were realistic, in our opinion, were uh, apparently not realistic because they weren't nearly as high as our our end volume uh, for the Kickstarter campaign. So we, in our minds, the most we would do is 100,000 on our Kickstarter, and we did 300,000, around 300,000. So uh, that kind of volume you know, it lends itself to a different type of manufacturing. Uh, we were going to do a lot by hand, um, so we had to actually automate a lot of the processes. Uh, so that that was something that was quite a bit different and, and took us quite a few months to, to to figure out, not even just like streamline it. It was just figuring it out. There's a lot of in, um, inconsistencies, uh, and it wasn't very lean. It was quite a, an obtuse manufacturing method at the beginning. Um, but we streamlined it since then. A lot of little things we streamlined in-house, so I'm not going to get into details, but there's a lot of uh, little manufacturing things um, for the products. But I think the main thing for us, the Kickstarter, in terms of supply chain that has changed since then is shipping. Um, we got crushed on our shipping through Kickstarter. We didn't charge enough for international shipments, so we just charged a $5 fee, um, when in, in reality, uh, you know, a, a more realistic fee is like 9 or $11 international shipping for us. So now we cap it at around a $9 flat rate shipping fee international. And we sell all over the world. We sold over 100 countries, countries at this point. Um, it's, a, I guess, it's a very visual product that kind of transcends languages, which is nice for us. Um, but we do some interesting shipping things. Would you like me to get into detail about, like, how we optimize their shipping? Yeah, that would be great because my next question was kind of like, you know, what's the most costly part, which I, I, I would guess is the shipping, and then how do you keep your costs down? So that flows flows perfectly. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the most expensive things for us is is shipping. Uh, is shipping physical products is always going to be the boon of uh, e-commerce businesses. Um, you know, you're 
you're taking something uh, digital online, and then all of a sudden you're selling it. It's a physical product that has to be shipped somewhere, um, and it has to be, you know, you're moving metal essentially. So uh, it is it is pricey, especially when you're shipping international. Um, but for us, you know, the, the states is, you know, right, we're in Toronto, so the states is right below us, and you know, massive market, much bigger than Canada. So it's obviously a point of focus for us. Um, and we've done some interesting things um, along with a bunch of other e-commerce companies in Toronto to really streamline and take down the cost of our, our domestic USPS shipments. Um, so what we do, and when we started, we first, and through the Kickstarter, we were just shipping through Canada Post. And Canada shipping uh, service is really expensive. Uh, I think it's down due to the fact that Canada is just a very vast, unpopulated country. Um, so to get things to places costs a lot of money. Um, there's just not a lot of resources to rely upon. When you're shipping the states, though vast, it's very populous. So, you know, you very populated, very populous, isn't it? A very populated country. So there's warehouses everywhere, and there's, there's, it's just a streamlined shipping services. So uh, we prefer to ship domestic USPS. So we use a service in Toronto. Uh, friends of ours we have a company called Ship Wismo. It's pretty cool. What they do is they go around to a bunch of e-commerce companies in uh, Toronto and pick up their parcels. Uh, we also have a manifest. It's all automatically pulled from our shipping through, uh, we use Shopify as our CMS, our content management system, uh, for e-commerce stores. And it ties directly into our Shopify so that when we have an order come in, we just click print and it prints the label and then it automatically fills that label into a manifest that uh, when it's, the parcels are picked up by this company called Wismo, they're taken across the border, manifest is shown to the border security, and the items are taken across, and we ship out of Buffalo domestically in the U.S. So we save about $2, $3 off of all of our U.S. shipments um, by shipping as a domestic U.S. entity. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, there's a couple of different companies that um, I believe does that. What is that website for that company? Uh, I, think, I believe it's shipwizmo.com. So is that uh, W-I-Z-M-O? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Just for our listeners, anyways. Um, well, that sounds great. I mean, domestic U.S. shipping, especially from Canada, is always the toughest. So mm-hmm. sounds like you've found a really good solution. Um, what has, I guess, surprised you the most? I mean, I, I know that you talked about the price of shipping, um, but between the crowdfunding campaign and where you are right now, what's kind of surprised you mo- the most in regards to your processes and the pricing? Canada Post. No. <laughs> yeah, um, surprised me the most. Um, I mean, I would say shipping was obviously one of them, how much you could actually save through shipping, not only through domestic USPS shipping, but working with bigger companies that ship on behalf of a lot of different companies. Like, they're all pooled together, so you get bulk discounts on international shipping, for example. Um, it, it really surprised me how much, how much you can get a discount at, at scale. You know, when you're shipping really like small amounts, um, it, it, it's stressful and it, it can get scary with your cash flow. So, I think shipping really surprised me how much, how important it really is for an e-commerce company to get right. Because if you don't get your shipping right and you realize you're overpaying on shipping, you're going to get screwed. Uh, and we noticed this. Like we weren't charging for shipping before. Um, we were doing mostly free shipping. And when I, you know, our quarterly uh, financial statements, I was looking at the, you know, the income statement. I was just looking, and there was, there was a shipping line, and that shipping line was massive, and it really, really um, put us in the black. So, uh, 
it was, it was sorry, in the red. It was pretty scary. So we um, adjusted some things and you know, are now charged for shipping, offer free shipping over $35. Uh, and it's really balanced our shipping costs out and really, you know, help us, help, help us bring the company back into the, into the black. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've spoken to um, a couple of people on our show about free shipping versus, you know, charging for shipping. And it's really one of those things that I would say, you know, startups, entrepreneurship uh, type companies or even larger companies are kind of struggling with, you know. Amazon offers free shipping, but then they charge, you know, for the $9.99 uh, yeah. for the Prime. So they're it's you're all, actually... called the Amazon effect. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we deal with that all the time. I mean, you look at comments on our ads or something and just emails from customers and, you know, it, it, it takes time to ship things. The physical products, we don't have warehouses all over the place for a startup, you know, where we don't have that kind of scale. Um, and people just don't get that. They've been primed now through Amazon Prime, great name in that respect, uh, to, to think of shipping as something immediate. Like, you know, it has to come within two days or what the hell is this customer service? It sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to go back just for one second. Um, you talked about your manufacturing changing after the crowdfunding campaign because of the volume. What about the sourcing? Did that change at all? Uh, not really. Uh, the sourcing just changed in terms of, of scale a bit. I mean, we had to put in such large orders anyways for the initial uh, batches of, of products and ingredients okay. that the economies of scale we achieved through the Kickstarter campaign volume and based like compared with our previous volume wasn't really that different. Just unique to our product, I guess. Right. Okay. So you had to purchase at those volumes anyway. Yeah. And that's honestly for startups, like if anyone, any startups are listening to the show and um, think about supply chain, that is one thing that will really scare you <laughs> if you're building a physical product, it's specifically one that you have to like build yourself or figure out how to build. Uh, Man, like the tooling costs and the minimum order quantities on, on, on products are a lot more expensive than you want them to be when you're a small business. Yeah, exactly. So, Tyler, uh, could you tell us how you manage your returns? That's a good question. Our product uh, is, we don't get any returns with our product. Um, the sizing is not really wrong or anything, and, you know, it doesn't pile or fall apart. Typically, um, the only time we refund customers is if, A, they don't receive their parcel, uh, which sometimes happens because posted will lose it, uh, or, B, the tattoo didn't come out right on them. Uh, from what we've been able to gather, it's rarely, if ever, the product's fault um, because it, it just works. Uh, it's usually the application of the product. It is a new product, so it's a completely new type of application, and you really do have to follow the instructions to, to get a perfect, clean, crisp, dark, long-lasting uh, inkbox tattoo. Uh, and if you don't, uh, you know, it doesn't come out great, and it doesn't quite look like it does on the website. So uh, most of our returns uh, are, are based on that. Um, so we don't really take returns in that respect because the product has already been used. So what we'll do is we'll just ship them a new one. So ship them a new one, as uh, simple as that. Or if they don't want a new one, they're really mad, uh, we'll just refund them. Now, with your product, does that have any effect on your skin color? Would it work on any skin color, or uh, is it recommended for lighter skinned uh, complexity? I guess you'd say politically correct. Yeah, it uh, it appears differently on every skin color. Um, the color is not being placed into your skin. The color is actually coming out of your skin. Uh, so everyone's skin is different. Uh, my brother and I, for example, 
have slightly different colorations with our inkbox tattoos. Uh, but typically, the darker the skin, the darker looking the tattoo. Uh, the lighter the skin, the more of a bluish hint the tattoo has. That's really That's interesting. The really about our tattoos um, on, on really dark skin is that uh, tattoo artists uh, historically refuse to do certain tattoos on darker skin uh, because it just won't really show up. Uh, and that's because the epidermis is is the like the top layer of skin, and, and that is where uh, the, the the pigmentation in the skin is. Uh, the layer below is the dermis, is where the tattoo goes. So if you think of darker skin, it's kind of like having a tinted window on top of a tattoo. Um, so our tattoos actually sit in the window. So it's kind of like a decal in the window or something, but not like a sticker on top of the window. Um, it's kind of how we describe it. Interesting. What's your most popular tattoo? Uh, probably our world map tattoo. It, it, it's based on our scale. I think we sell all designs. I mean, it's a very personal item. It's been here for two weeks. You can't get rid of it. It's like there. So it's a very personal item. It has to represent something about you. And the most popular tattoos we see are ones that are very easy to wear. And so the world map, like who hates the world? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very easy tattoo to wear. Interesting. That's very interesting. Okay, so let's talk about the future. Let's talk about the future of crowdfunding, the space where you kind of started. You know, where do you see crowdfunding in the next five to ten years, and what are some of the challenges that might come up? Yeah, I see it shifting more and more into uh, real investment, too, like owning equity in companies. It's already happening with, I think it's called the Reg, Reg 8 regulations or something in the States where private uh, private individuals now who don't have to be accredited investors can invest in in, in startups um, through uh, like crowdfunding platforms like Circle Up, or that's for accredited investors still. Uh, I forget their names, but you can just Google it now. There's a bunch of uh, platforms coming up there like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, but for like, actual equity investments, not just receiving a product for pledging to, to a product. So I see that becoming... Um, uh, a bigger thing, and I, uh, eventually I, I see there's kind of like a blurred line between the two where, um, you know, you're investing and getting some equity in the company, and you have some ownership, and you feel proud to have actual ownership in a company as well uh, as getting the product uh, as a reward for pledging. Yeah, and not just getting not just getting the product, really. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, aside, aside from that, I just see it getting more and more popular. It makes a lot of sense for smaller companies to, to uh, start up. I just hope that uh, Kickstarter... And Indiegogo are, uh, you know, they just they keep on it. There's been quite a few, you know, horror stories about items not being received by, by customers and people losing a bunch of money. So there's a lot of risk on, on the customer's part still. Uh, but that's because, you know, it, again, it's a double-edged sword. Like, some, And there's just some snake, like some seedy people out there who will try to game the system and, and make a bunch of money by selling a watch or something. And then they'll just run with it. So right. I think there'll be more regulations in the future, and there's going to be a couple class action lawsuits that uh, set precedent for uh, swindling consumers through crowdfunding platforms. And so there should be. So then um, what would be your number one tip to anybody looking to do a crowdfunding campaign or maybe something that they, they would want to look out for or be aware of? I'd say number one tip from a product standpoint is just do your research before you're doing it 
and, and make sure it looks fantastic. It has to look fantastic and personalized as well. Those are two of my main tips in terms of like content on the page. Uh, you know, putting a face to it's really important and, and making it feel like a personal journey. People love a story, a feel-good story, um, super important part of a, most Kickstarter campaigns, unless it's like a watch or a wall or something, because there's like a million of those uh, every day on Kickstarter, you go, go. Um, and number one thing to watch out for is, I would say, I'd say two things. Uh, obviously, shipping. Um, make sure you're charging enough for shipping. You don't want to get crushed on it. And know your, your, your prices and capacity at volume. So I think one mistake we made was we didn't, I mean, we had a, a basic understanding of our capacity at, at scale. You know, if we sold $300,000 worth of tattoos to a Kickstarter campaign, you know, how much that would cost us per product and, you know, what resources we would need in place. Uh, but we didn't know, like, down to, like, the details, like, the exact details. And um, those are those little details that lead to delays in delivery. Um, it still works. Uh, we knew it would work. It's just we should have been a bit more focused on the details. Uh, so I think it's something else to watch out for, it's, especially if you're developing like a new product that you're not just buying from Alibaba or like just sourcing from a, an experienced supplier uh, and manufacturer. Like if you're creating your own product, make sure you know at scale how your costs are going to be affected. Right. Absolutely. Those are great tips. So then last but not least, before we wrap up the show, can you tell us what's next for Inkbox? Yeah. Um, I think our product, it's a, it's a very personal product. Like I said, it's in your skin for two weeks. It's the only product I can really think of that becomes a part of you. Like, it is you. Um, so it's very personal in that respect. So going forward, we're putting a, a focus on the personalization of the tattoo itself. So launching a uh, web platform that allows you to simply and powerfully upload or create from scratch any design you can possibly imagine. Um, to really give you that design optionality. So, you know, whatever you want to wear in your skin temporarily, you know, make a temporary bad decision for two weeks, uh, you can have it. So I got one last question. Do you think that in the near five to ten years that ink boxes will be delivered by drones? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I, I think there's just too many companies pushing for that right now, for drone delivery. Uh, I I do think, it, even if it's just a gimmick on our, on our behalf, I think we'd just do it for that at least once or twice. <laughs> I will be the pilot if you need a pilot. All right, down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. Nick loves drones. All right, so before we end the show, why don't you tell all our listeners um, your website so that they can go on and see all your fabulous products? Yeah, check us out at inkbox.com, I-N-K-B-O-X.com. Uh, follow us on Instagram at at Inkbox, uh, Facebook again, Inkbox, Twitter, Inkbox, Snapchat, Inkbox. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, we are definitely going to have all your details on the website. So for our listeners, go check out their website, check out our website, and check us both out on uh, social media. Thanks so much for being here today, Tyler. All right, thanks very much. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? 
IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorplogistics.com and check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you. Crowdfunding is an amazing way to market your idea and raise capital for your inventory. But it is important to the success of your campaign to have a good handle on your supply chain and shipping. Next week, we are getting into the future and talking to Alan from Metaverse about using VR in supply chain. That is right, folks, virtual reality. This episode is going to be amazing. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play so you never miss another episode. Leave us a review. This episode was produced by Mike Mazurik. We are your hosts, Nick and Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, folks, ship happens.